Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Coming up on Chopper's Politics. What I find so fascinating about the numbers Martin just reached out is it leads to the C word in politics, which is coalition. <laughs> if Labour get there... Please. Heavy Tory losses in London, Labour struggling outside the capital, and the Liberal Democrats. Yes, the Liberal Democrats encroaching in the southwest. That's right, it's a local election special of Chopper's Politics. And I'm Christopher Hope, the Associate Editor of Politics at the Daily Telegraph. Now, joining me to discuss the results from Thursday night and Friday afternoon and give reflections on the local elections is The Telegraph's political editor, Ben Riley-Smith. And from the polling company, Electoral Calculus, Martin Baxter. Ben Riley-Smith and Martin Baxter, thank you for joining us this week on Chopper's Politics. Ben Riley-Smith, to you first. Millions have been voting across the UK in these elections. Who's won? Well, the, the phrase everybody keeps on saying is mixed picture, which is a bit of a cop-out for journalists and helpful for politicians who are trying to defend how they've done. But I think the big picture is not a great night for Boris Johnson. In London, they were decimated, three Tory councils gone to Labour, Westminster, Wandsworth and Barnet, and also the Lib Dems eating into their traditional heartlands in the Blue Wall. So Lib Dems took control of Somerset Council, David Cameron's old patch in West Oxfordshire. The Lib Dems uh, knocked the Tories off control there. But, and it's a big but, Labour didn't seem to have these huge strides forward outside of London that they were really banking on. So around middle of Friday, uh, John Curtis, the BBC polling guru, said that actually... Labour's vote share compared to the last time these seats were up in 2018 actually decreased outside of London. So if Keir Starmer was hoping today he could be saying we are marching our way back to Downing Street and the Tories are falling at every occasion they can, that's just not quite the narrative. And who was leader in 2018 for Labour? It was Jeremy Corbyn. Extraordinary. And it was after uh, the... 2017 election when Theresa May went for it, it backfired, she lost her majority and the Corbyn surge was happening. Mm. So that's actually Labour's defence. They say, well, listen, 2018 was a pretty good year for us. So that was a high watermark. But if Starmer is not doing better than Corbyn in England outside of London, that is tricky for their narrative. Martin Baxter, what, what have you been surprised by in these results? Well, it's the fact that both parties can claim it was not as bad as it might have been. That as as Ben was saying, Labour under Keir Starmer have had their first electoral gains that they've had under his leadership. They haven't previously gained anything. They've now gained some councils. As as of Friday afternoon, they've gained about half a dozen or so. Mm -hmm. There's some potentially more that they might gain, but it's looking like it's going to be around about maybe ten, give or take, which is 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 okay, but it's not super uh, fantastic. The Conservatives have lost more councils actually than we thought they would lose. We thought that they would lose the three in London, Barnet, uh, Wandsworth and Westminster, and they did lose those. But they have been losing control of our other councils. So it's, um, in terms of councils, slightly worse than the Conservatives than we thought. In terms of number of seats, it's it's better. 
there hasn't been the hemorrhage of um, of seats away. It does give the impression of conservative voters not being enthusiastic and not turning out so much. But on the other side, where have um, voters been going? They've been going to a number of places. The Labour Party is one of them, but the Lib Dems have been doing well. We'll see what line the SNP do. Um, so on the whole, Keir Starmer is not showing a kind of Tony Blair-like charisma that sweeps all before him. He's doing okay, and he's winning. He is winning councils, so that's good for Labour. That's good for Keir Starmer. But it's not. Um, it's not overwhelming. We're not seeing momentum as we saw three years into the John Major government, for example, in the nineties, which swept Labour to power just two years later. Which is what Keir Starmer wants now. It hasn't happened. To you, though, Ben Riley Smith, what does the defeats in in Wandsworth and and Westminster particularly mean for um, the Tories and for Boris Johnson? Well, Boris Johnson, let's not forget, is a former London mayor. He won two terms in this traditional Labour city. It was the core of his whole Carlsberg appeal that he was the Tory who could reach parts of the electorate that other Conservatives couldn't. I mean, that has gone. This this trend predates Boris, as Martin, I'm sure, can, can tell us. For a long time, the capital has been getting more and more Labour, but that has just been cemented overnight. I mean, Westminster... They've held since the 60s. Wandsworth, they've held since 78. So, you know, this is a 40-odd year hold in Wandsworth, 60-odd year hold in Westminster, and these are no longer Tory territories. It just means London is totally a Labour city now. Uh, What does that mean, do you think, Martin Baxter, to have this kind of control over the capital in the same way that the SNP controls Scotland? Well, at a practical level, means Conservative MPs in London might be getting a bit nervous, people like Ian Duncan Smith, but... I'm sure Labour would wish they were doing better outside London as well. Mm. And they are in places. It's not like they're not uh, gaining anything. They gained um, Cumberland up in the north and Rossendale yeah. north um, and Southampton. And they gained Worthing on the south coast and Torfin in, in Wales. But they lost Hull. They lost Tyneburn. So it's, yeah, it's, it's a little bit mixed outside the capital. You don't win a general election of London on its own. I'm just looking now at the results as they're coming in, Ben Riley-Smith. I know that the Tories have won Newcastle under Lyme, which I think was a key bellwether seat in a tiebreaker. Extraordinary. And that, of course, was seat was won from Labour by Aaron Bell in 2019. Almost an archetypal red wall seat that turned blue. These are the victories, aren't they, which will secure Boris Johnson's leader, probably. Yeah, it's really interesting if you think about election cycles, these things go in ebbs and flows. And it wasn't that long ago that Boris Johnson, in the election of December 2019, managed to open up all these red wall, midlands and northern seats because of Brexit. And he was the architect of Brexit. But, you know, we're only two and a half years on from that. So the expectation that all of that has drained away immediately and all the effect of Corbynism and the critics in those places have gone just doesn't seem to be happening yet. Martin Baxter, do you agree? I mean, it looks like that this big issue, as you described there, that we're not seeing the Labour push in the Midlands, in the North, and that's the problem. That's what will give um, Labour MPs sleepless nights over the next few weeks. Yeah, so I mean, the Labour are making some gains in the North and, and, and elsewhere, but it's not, um, it's not overwhelming. It's not uh, super impressive. So give you one kind of just key fact that the national equivalent vote share is currently being calculated labor are on these figures but on a national on the basis of these results but on a national basis labor would have a lead over the conservatives of five percent now that's better than being behind but it's not overwhelming what that would mean if there were a general election and people voted in exactly the same patterns which they probably would not but if, if they did labor would be about 20 seats short of a majority so a Labour lead in the polls like this, or in actual votes, is enough to get the Conservatives out of being the government, but it's not enough to give Labour a majority in the House of Commons. 
and that's probably you know what we're looking at now that Boris Johnson and Conservatives are in a bit of trouble. They they might well recover. There's two years to go, say, but they're in trouble right now. But Labour are not doing well enough to seal the deal with the British public. And of course, caveats there, Ben Riley Smith, to what Martin's saying. These are votes about bin services, potholes, library services, not about who's going to take on Putin in the world. I mean, it's not a general election, is it? No, that's right. And we're still two, probably two years away from that. Let's see. But what I find so fascinating about the numbers Martin just reached out is it leads to the C word in politics, which is coalition. If <laughs> Labour get there, please. If Labour get there, but they're 20, 30 MPs shy of a majority, then we are going to enter that phase again of whether they can do a deal with someone to win power. And what I thought was the so fascinating. Well, the SNP is one option, but then you're probably going to have to promise something on a, another independence vote. But what's so fascinating as well about the results is the Lib Dem resurgence. You know, for seven years, this party has been pretty much politically toxic after the coalition years, and yet they are making gains in the southwest, in the south, in Tory blue wall seats. If they double their MPs count, then they could be part of those talks, if it ever came to that. But would they? Because, I mean, the Lib Dems did not do well in the coalition, did they? Martin Baxter, they almost got annihilated in 2015. Uh, that's true. I, my guess is they'd probably be happier to do a coalition with Labour, and I would also guess that Labour would be happier to be in coalition with the Lib Dems and the SNP because I'll probably find that more congenial. The question will come down to parliamentary arithmetic. If Labour need 20 seats in the House of Commons and the Lib Dems have 25, that's a good deal. If the Lib Dems only have 10, then Labour or, or Labour further away from a majority, then they have to come calling on Nicola Sturgeon, which I'm sure lots of people in the Labour Party would be nervous about but they might have to do it yeah and, and it's worth saying it doesn't have to be a coalition it could be confidence and supply so that's oh, what the yes. dep did to prop up theresa yes. may which means you give your support for votes but you don't enter and government have, so and there are looser a, arrangements a wish list of things you want of course away from england there have been elections throughout the uk in scotland we're seeing uh, the smp and labor make gains amid tory losses in northern ireland that could be the big story overnight because the union could be under some stress because if Sinn Féin appear to have won the most votes, and if they also appear to be the biggest party in Stormont, Martin Baxter, that could have some real issues for the union, the UK union. Yes, obviously there's a lot in to play for and at, at stake in Northern Ireland, so it'll be interesting to see what happens there. It's hard, hard to predict but um, because there's a lot of choices. Scotland, of course, will be very interesting to see whether Labour can start to get ground back because Scottish Labour used to be this big force that would support uh, Labour majorities in Westminster, and that's completely disappeared under the SNP dominance. But if Labour can start to win ground again in Scotland, that would be important for them. Ben Ryan-Smith, you're formerly were, um, our political editor in Scotland. Any view on this? Well, I mean, just the big picture is the SNP have a phenomenal grip on Scotland. I mean, they first entered power in Holyrood in 2007, I think. You know, it's 15 years ago. The referendum was 2014. They got this huge surge on the back of that. I mean, when you're talking about a party bouncing between 40% and 50% of the vote, I mean, that is just unheard of in normal British politics. Mm. And it doesn't seem like that is really cracking this time around. If you take a step back from this then, um, um, Martin Baxter, what do these results mean? It, it looks like we're on course for no overall victor in a general election campaign. I mean, the, the, there's cause for concern really for all parties there, isn't there? Yes, I would guess that it probably makes it more likely than not that Boris Johnson will survive without a big challenge from his backbenchers, that it's been bad but not dreadful. Uh, Keir Starmer obviously will survive, his position's not in any danger, but it will give Labour pause for thought about what they can do to make more progress. So I think uh, both of the two main parties will be um, slightly 
uh, yeah, considering how they move on from here in a positive way, because uh, mm. clearly over two years, there is still very much all to play for the next general That's election. Right. And Ben Rice, if we're talking, of course, on a weekend where we may see more fines issued to the prime minister, we now learn from the Telegraph at lunchtime today that Keir Starmer is being investigated by a Durham constabulary. He could get a fine. We could lose both Johnson and Starmer by the autumn party conferences. I suppose that's theoretically possible, but the difference today <laughs> to yesterday is we weren't saying that about the Labour leader, and, and now we are. I think clearly it's not been a great night for Boris Johnson. He's lost councillors, he's lost councils. But sitting in Downing Street tonight, there'll probably be a bit of a sigh of relief. The narrative today hasn't been hammering for the Tories. It's been mixed results with pluses and minuses for both parties. And the biggest political threat to him, other than his own MPs, Keir Starmer, is now facing a criminal investigation along with his colleagues about whether they broke lockdown rules over this event in Durham. So by and large, the 24 hours in the past could have gone a lot worse for the Prime Minister than they have. And for Keir Starmer this weekend, I mean, he's got all the problems that Boris Johnson has been facing in recent weeks. But the problem is that Keir Starmer said that Boris Johnson and Rishi Sunak should resign after they got a fine. Now, if Keir Starmer gets a fine, what happens next? Well, he either goes or he eats his words about what he said about the Prime Minister and the Chancellor because he was so explicit so many times in the Commons, on TV broadcasts, anyway, he could speak really during that period in late January, February, that the Prime Minister should resign because of what happened over Partygate and when he got fined more recently that he yeah. should go over that. So that would be um, uh, very tricky to see how he'd get through that politically. But it's a big if. He may not get fined. It's unfair to call it a difference between a curry and a birthday cake. There's a birthday cake at the Cabinet Office Party, which ended up a fine for Johnson and Sunak. There was a curry and beer in, in Durham, and nothing's happened yet. Is, that the, is it how you view the import of the curry that will decide it? <laughs> I don't think it's the food stuff that will determine it. I think it's the very specific wording of the regulations at the different times. So Starmer was May 2021, which we were near the end of this uh, roadmap to leaving lockdown. Boris Johnson's one was in the summer of 2020, which was a different period. So it really come down to what is the explicit wording of the law at the time and whether Keir Starmer can say this was a work event and not a social event. But of course, that is the exact argument the Prime Minister's been making the whole time. I mean, the biggest thing when you step away is Tory MPs now don't have to defend Boris Johnson's behaviour. They can say, well, hang on, Labour was doing it too. So they were all at it. So it's not a political partisan thing. This one will run and run. Well, Ben Riley-Smith and Martin Baxter, thank you both for joining us for this emergency edition of Chopper's Politics reflecting on the local election results. Thanks for joining us both. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Ben Riley-Smith and Martin Baxter there. Now, do stay with us, listeners. Coming up next, I'll be getting reaction on what these results mean for Boris Johnson and if he can keep the confidence of his MPs. Right after this... If you're finding this podcast interesting, you may also like our new daily podcast, Ukraine, the latest. Every weekday, The Telegraph's leading journalists bring you the latest news and the most informed analysis of President Putin's invasion of Ukraine. From our newsroom in London and from the ground. The Russian machine has been ground to a halt now for well over a week, and that is just staggering. NATO has to act now. It has to do more than it's currently doing. Otherwise, in this Ukrainian MP's words, you'll have to evacuate the whole continent. One video that we found to be incorrect was bomb squads seen in the Donbass region. The metadata of this clip shows that it was created in 2019, not today. 
search Ukraine, the latest, in the same place you're listening to this, and click follow so you don't miss an update. Now, as I was saying, Labour gains in London aren't the only headline from these local elections. The Liberal Democrats, the Lib Dems, have done much better than was thought against the blue wall in the south of England. And that's a worry for Boris Johnson and his Tory MPs. With me now is Marcus Fish, Tory MP for Yeovil, who has seen firsthand the damage the Lib Dems can do to Tory councillors. Marcus Fish, MP for Yeovil, thank you for joining us on Chopper's Politics. What happens in Somerset overnight? Well, unfortunately, we uh, lost the council to the Lib Dems. Uh, we did sort of okay in my particular area down in South Somerset, not quite as bad as we'd feared. And we got some new councillors elected, a couple of 20-year-olds and three women, which is brilliant. But overall, we, we just really struggled against the national tide. Uh, but it's really tragic for the people of Somerset because they will lose that essential link between local government being blue and national government and how creative we can be about things to really make the best of the opportunity that is given to Somerset by forming a new unitary, which is the context of this election. So I think we sort of did an okay job in my particular area, as I said, but overall it's just really, really disappointing. What do you blame? Do you blame, is it an issue locally with the Conservatives? Is there, is there a problem with potholes in, in Somerset or local libraries or public services? Or were these councillors being punished because of issues on a national level? No, so it, it was a low turnout election, as most local elections are. And unfortunately, quite a lot of our voters just sat on their hands. And I had it again and again, knocking on doors and talking to people that they were you know, concerned about the national matters that we all know about. And what um, are those matters? Which have been impinging. Well, you know, the, um, the management of the party, some of the things that have been going on in Westminster, they, they've been incredibly frustrating to people and they've been frustrating to me like they have for everybody else. Um, and, and we just, you know, unfortunately, local ele- elections are about local issues, but um, many times, unfortunately, national issues come into play and it's very hard to encourage people to come out and vote if they are unhappy about those things. Is one of the issues the conduct of the Prime Minister and others around Partygate? Is that an issue? Well, I listened very hard and I, uh, I certainly got the message when I went around that, you know, cost of living is a really big issue. It's a thing I've been really worried about for a long time now that, you know, I'm not sure that the government is fully aware of what's coming down the track in terms of the impact of inflation and the potential for recession. Obviously, the pandemic has completely messed up supply chains and that is leading to an inflation, which is something we need to give full attention to. And I'm just not convinced, as my constituents weren't in many cases, that the government yet has a handle on how to address that issue and make a successful economy that we can fight for re-election on um, in under two years' time. What kind of things would you like to see? I think you ran, didn't you, an economic group within the Tory party, didn't you? What kind of things? Yeah. Are, you, are you a low-tax Tory? You want to reverse the national insurance increase, which might, might be damaging at the next election? Anything else? I thought the national insurance rise was a mistake, absolutely. I mean, we've, we've got higher taxes, higher interest rates, and higher prices really squeezing the economy. And if we're not 
very careful, those sort of higher interest rates that the Bank of England's putting through at the moment will destroy demand. And that's an incredibly blunt tool, which we really don't want them to have to use. So we need to think more creatively about economic policy. I'd like to see green levies on energy abolished for those who are more at the more vulnerable end. I'd like to see VAT on fuel reduced. Anything that we can do to get the cost of the supply of energy that goes into so many other items within the economy, we have to do. Otherwise, interest rates are going to get jacked up and that's going to crush mm. demand and put people out of work, put people out of their houses. And that's just not acceptable to people. And I just don't think the current setup really understands that we've literally got about two months to do proper supply-side reform, tax reform, regulatory reform, take advantage of the opportunities of not being in the EU anymore and really optimise this economy and demonstrate that we have done so. And I just don't see any real urgency yet uh, in the current setup to do that. So we need to get that changed. Is the PM listening to you? Well, I would hope he would, because I just think it's so important for the country. And I do think when he's on form, he has the ear of uh, the country and he does understand that. So I really hope he will, because I do think the setup needs to change and it needs radical action right now. Is it Rishi Sunak? Is he the problem? Well, I think the setup is wrong. So the the national insurance rise essentially came about because the Prime Minister wanted to fix a thing. He wanted the social care issue. And Rishi didn't want to didn't really want to spend the money or he didn't want to borrow the money, so he insisted on a tax. But an extra tax is the wrong economic prescription. So one way or another, whoever's fault it is, it's resulted in the wrong outcome. So I'm really not interested in the personalities. I think they're both very talented people, but we need to figure out how we're going to approach this and get the right policies for the country in place right now. I mentioned earlier the issue of Partygate and you avoided the question, but it was that an issue on the doorstep? I found it was an issue when I went to Wandsworth uh, last it was. week. Lots it of Tory, was Tory supporters saying, I just can't bear it. It's so annoying, this Partygate thing. It was, undoubtedly, yeah. There, are, there is a segment of our voters that is, is deeply unhappy about yep. not, not just that, but the whole... I mm. mean, there have been Culture lots issues. of things, as you know, yep. which have been disappointing people about national politics recently. Some of them are personality related. Others are people feeling anxious about, you know, uh, the lack of a proper plan for taking advantage of the opportunities of being outside the EU, as I said, to do things differently and demonstrate the point of being outside the EU. And I've noticed that that frustration really welling up in more and more people a lot more in the last couple of months than had been the case even in the last five years, extraordinarily. And so we need to we need to address that. I know there have been changes in the set up to um, get Jacob involved in looking at that particular part of the program, but um, but we just we should have been doing this four years ago, five years ago. Do you have confidence in Boris Johnson as Prime Minister and leader? I I am I do need to talk to colleagues and figure out what the best way forward is. I'd like to talk to him about it too. I don't think the current setup is um, is destined for success at the moment. So it needs to change. I would love him to be able to be the one who changes it.
but you can't guarantee that. So you sound like you're wavering on whether to put a letter in. I need to, I need to talk to colleagues about what, what the best way forward is. But it is true that we have a, a, a big mountain to climb and we need to demonstrate how we're going to climb it with specific tools and we need to show people that, that we are making progress. Otherwise, uh, yeah, I don't think there's a way forward for the current setup. Don't you think the party needs a vote of no confidence in Boris Johnson to just to move past Partygate, to get him to reset? I talk to a lot of your colleagues all the time, as you know, in Parliament, and I just get that feeling that there needs to be some release of this kind of grumbling about him. Well, I think it's true. We need to focus on the issues. We need to focus on the policy yeah. and get that right policy in place. And we need to think what the best way of doing that is. I, I don't think that people would necessarily thank us, I've said this before, for having a leadership election and spill and, and all that discussion for the next three or four months and arguing about the way forward because we really have only got a few months to get the economic settings sorted and, and mm. people will be aware that the global markets and global economics at the moment are in, in pretty desperate straits and look like getting very much worse very rapidly potentially and frankly the UK is particularly exposed to the problems that are out there. It does run a trade deficit. It does have a high debt because of the uh, pandemic borrowing. Gordon Brown sold our gold, so we don't have the flexibility in extremists that other countries like the US and even the European Union have in terms of their gold reserves in extremists could be used to, to reprice and repay the liabilities that the government um, has in those places, we, we, we'd be really badly exposed if things got significantly worse in the world. We've got a war on um, and all sorts of things are in flux. I know. And you so you we sound depressed, to... Marcus. It's been a, a long night. No, it isn't depressed. It isn't depressed. It isn't. It's just determined that we have to take this seriously. And frankly, the current setup has been far too complacent for far too long about these issues. I'm not convinced that the current team is the right one to take it forward because I think they're too complacent and I don't think they are able to put constructive solutions in place. I think they are too wedded to the orthodoxy of previous years and happier times when uh, money did relatively grow on trees in uh, economic policy terms. So what would you change, Marcus Fisher? What single thing would you change? Chancellor, Prime Minister, team around them both? Uh, I just think that it needs to be set up differently. Yeah, it just needs to be what set up differently. What does that mean? That's an open question. I, I think um, the current setup of pursuing green socialist policies rather than conservative ones is not going to be a success, electorally or economically, and the sooner we move away from those policies, the better. Well, Marcus Fish, the MPP Oval, with some pause for thought, some words for thought there for the Prime Minister and Chancellor this weekend after a bruising local elections. Thank you for joining us today on Chubbers Politics. Great to have you on. Thank you. Pleasure. Marcus Fish there. Well, that's all for this emergency edition of Chopper's Politics, looking back at last night's local elections. Please do let me know your thoughts. You can get in touch by emailing me, chopperspolitics at telegraph.co.uk, or tweet me, we're at chopperspodcast. And for more expert analysis across the weekend on the fallout from these local elections and what they mean for Boris Johnson, 
Keir Starmer and of course Ed Davey, why not sign up to become a Telegraph subscriber? Go to telegraph.co.uk forward slash chopper for your first month's access to our brilliant journalism completely free of charge. Thank you again to my guests, The Telegraph's own Ben Riley-Smith, Martin Baxter from Electoral Calculus, and Marcus Fish, the Conservative MP for Yeovil. Thank you to my producers, Louisa Wells, Giles Gear, and Theodora Luludis. And as ever, thank you to you, well, for listening. And finally, as ever, please do buy a copy of The Daily Telegraph. It's a central weekend reading for you. I know you won't regret it. Until next time, though, cheerio!